All right. Well, so what we did there is we looked at small parts of bigger pictures, right? And so some of them you probably were like, oh, right away, you know what that is. And other ones, you were probably like, what in the world is this going to look like? Honestly, the beetle one I thought was going to stump everybody, but I'm impressed. That was very good. You know your beetles, Jocelyn. I was going to, you know, just let it be, but okay, there are a few people who laughed at that one. Okay. So it's much easier to identify something when we see the whole picture, right? I mean, looking at those cropped versions, you're like, what is happening? And then when you see the whole picture, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is, right? Well, similarly, so many of us, we try to figure out what our identity is, but if we only look at a small piece or aspect of our identity, rather than getting the full picture, it can actually lead us to believing the wrong ideas or having a distorted image of ourselves. So when it comes to understanding, okay, what, what is my identity? We can get so caught up in looking at small little pieces rather than looking at the full picture. And when we only look at small aspects, in reality, we can miss understanding what the whole framework is of what is our identity. What does the Bible say about who we are and our purpose and who we're created to be? So tonight, we are going to look at the question, who defines my identity and where does it come from? And so this semester, we've been doing this series on foundations, looking at uh, different aspects of the Bible. You know, is the Bible legit? Who is God? Who is Satan? Right? All these different areas to help you build a strong foundation of faith. And if you want to build a strong foundation of faith, it's important for us to understand where does our identity come from? Who defines that identity? And so in order to answer this question, we are going to look in God's word to understand who you were created to be and what our identity is, okay? So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1, and if you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand, and some of our leaders will make sure to get one to you so you can borrow. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, it's the first book probably the first page. So feel free to look that up. If you need some help, ask a friend, ask a leader. We'll make sure because we want you to see for yourself what God's word says. Okay, So Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. Okay. All right. Would someone be willing to read these two verses for us? Anybody want to read these nice and loud? Violet, in the back. All right. Go for it whenever you're ready. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So let's make some observations here. Okay. I want to have some conversation. And if you remember when we did our series on soya, understanding how we study the Bible, one of the first steps after understanding context is making observations. Okay. So let's put your Bible scholar hat on and let's talk about this a little bit. What are some of the pieces 
in this passage that help us understand who we are and what our identity is. Okay, so when you look at this and think about what does this mean for our identity and who we are, what are some of the things that you see? Luna? Yeah, we're made in God's image. Great. What else? Other thoughts? Anything else that you see here? Understand? Yeah. Okay, we're created male and female. He created them. Great. Other, anything else you see here in this passage? Other thoughts? Yeah, Althea? Okay, all right, we're supposed to be dominant, all right, we'll talk about that a little bit, okay? That could be a possibility of an interpretation, okay? Other thoughts, Violet? Okay, made in our image, okay? We're going to talk about that great observation, very good. Anything else about our identity and who God created us to be? Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Created us to be in his likeness. Very good. Okay. All right. So again, reminder, whenever you're studying the Bible, a good first step is to make observations. So before you go right into trying to understand what it's saying, first look at what's happening in this passage. Okay. And so what do we see about our humanity? What do we learn about mankind? Well, here are a couple things. God gives us purpose. God created us. We are created by God. And like we mentioned, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And so Violet mentioned our likeness. Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, right here we see an example of Trinity language. Let us make man in our image. Humanity is created like a mirror reflecting God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is what sets us apart from all of creation. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. And so maybe you're like, okay, well, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Does that mean like we all look like God? Are we all God? Like, what, what does that mean? Well, here are a couple of implications of what does it mean that we are made in the image of God, okay? Number one, being made in the image of God means that humans, humanity, we possess personhood. And that is what sets us apart from plants and animals. And what do I mean by personhood? Well, we have deep feelings we create. We have cognitive reasoning. And most of you use your brain to think critically, hopefully, oftentimes. And so we think deeply. We have deep feelings. We create. And so what sets us apart from the rest of creation is that you're never going to see dogs or cats hanging around reading books, processing their feelings with dog counselors. You're not going to see a dog painting in the park and sculpting, okay? We're different because of the personhood, okay? And if you did see that, I have some questions for you. Okay, Number two, it means that humans possess morality. We have moral judgments and a conscience. We have a conscience. We have this innate sense of right and wrong, which of course, unfortunately, sin has messed up our God-given conscience in many ways. However, we can rationally process morality, right? If you did something that's probably not very good, 
even if you justify it, on some level, there's probably a part of you that goes, maybe this wasn't the best thing to do because of that morality. Then number three, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that humans possess spirituality. Humans were designed for communion with God. It's on the level of the spirit that we communicate with God. We are made to be in relationship with God. And so what does that mean? You're not going to see a bunch of squirrels hanging out in the park having a prayer revival, okay? If you do, I have some questions, okay? But you're not going to see that happening. Why? Because we have this spirituality component to us made in the image and likeness of God. Why? Because God breathed his breath into us. And so we possess the personhood, morality, and spirituality, okay? And again, this is very quick overview, and so in this passage, it says, made in the image and likeness of God. And remember, it's important to know that words matter. And so when you see words and phrases in the Bible, take time to study and understand what those words mean. And so if we're made in the image and likeness, we should probably understand what that means. Well, the word image in Genesis means to carve or to sculpt, to put together. And then likeness means an image which is like us. And so what do what those words and phrases mean? It means you are both a picture of God and a representative of God on earth. Now, not in a physical sense, because remember a few weeks ago we talked about how God is spirit, but we are a picture and a representative of God here on earth. And so when we look around at humanity, even in the midst of brokenness, we can see glimpses of who God is and what he is like. We can see his character and his nature in and through how we interact with people. So think about that. Because you are made in the image of God, you are both a picture of God and a representative of God here on earth. And this is what sets humanity apart from all of creation. And it's because humanity is made in the image and likeness of God that biblically speaking, every human life matters and has value. Each and every person is made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, each and every person, their life matters and they have value. From in the womb to old, people are made in the image and likeness of God. And so because each and every one of you are made in the image and likeness of God, you have worth, you have value, you have purpose. Think about that for a second. Because you are made in the image of God, you have worth and value and purpose. And so many times the world wants us to think otherwise but don't buy into the lie. You have worth and value and purpose. And it's not just we collectively, like each and every one of you here in this room has worth and value and purpose. Why? Because you are made in the image of God. You are designed, created in the image of God. And so the world may try to tell you otherwise, but no matter what you look like, where you're from, how good your grades are, how good you are at your sport, how much money your family has, no matter what, you all, each and every one of you, have worth and value 
and purpose. And so don't forget that. Why do you have worth and value and purpose? Because God, the creator of the universe, created you in his image. You are created in the image of God. He spoke creation into being, but to us, he breathed his very breath, and that sets you apart. You have worth and value and purpose. And I love what Psalm 139 says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so God, when he looks at you, he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what does that mean? It means you have purpose and value and worth. You matter. And God sees his creation. And if you look down in verse 31, it says, as he looked out on his creation, he said, it and you is very good. Very good. So each and every one of you have value and purpose and worth. Why? Because you are made in the image of God. And yes, I'm repeating myself because I don't want you to miss that. You're made in the image of God. And when we view humanity through God's eyes, that means every person has infinite worth. And so I want you to take a second and like, don't be, don't be like weird about this, but just look around the room and think about every person that's here has infinite worth. Why? Because you are all made in the image and likeness of God. You're made in the image of God. And so we are to love others as God loves them. Even when people are difficult to love and tolerate, remember, they are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And so every person that you interact with, no matter how different they are, how frustrated they make you, they are made in the image of God, and they have worth and value and purpose, which means we must be kind to one another. We shouldn't be bullying others or putting people down. We should be treating others with respect and standing up for others. Why? Because every person is made in the image of God, and they have worth and value and purpose. And so when you attack and put somebody down, you know what that means? You're attacking the creator of the universe, God himself. And as Christians, we should be the ones leading the charge to show that everybody has love and care and worth. Now, side note, that doesn't mean we have to agree with everybody, because I want you to know, too, it's possible to show the love of God towards others who maybe think differently than you who believe different things than you. You can still treat them as people made in the image of God. And as Christians, we should live and think differently from the world. We are supposed to be different, live differently, think differently. But we still treat everybody, even those we disagree with, like they're made in the image of God. So don't miss that. And so we talk about treating others. I want to also note here that means because each and every one of you are made in the image of God, that means 
we are called to love and take care of ourselves too. And maybe when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, maybe you feel like, man, I am hard to love. Maybe you wish you look differently. Maybe you wish you could change your appearance and everything about you. But remember, everything God created is very good, including you. Again, Genesis 1.31, look at what God says. God saw everything that he had made, including humanity, and he said, behold, it was very good. And Ephesians 2 says, we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And so what's fascinating is that this word masterpiece here in Ephesians 2, this Greek word, masterpiece, the Greek word used here for masterpiece, or you know, maybe you heard craftsmanship, that Greek word that's used there is where we get the English word poem. And so what does that mean? That when God formed you, it wasn't just about effort, like, oh, he he created you, you're his masterpiece. It means that, like a poem, it involves artistic skill and craftsmanship. You're like a poem to God. You are created with worth and value and purpose. It takes skill and craftsmanship and thought. And so you are infinitely valuable and worthy of dignity not because of what you do and perform, but because of who you are. You are made in the image and likeness of God. This is our identity. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And so let's continue on. Verse 27, let me read it again. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, okay? And so when it says um, he created man in his own image, that word there is where we get the word mankind from, humanity, okay? And so I think this verse is important because we had mentioned it, and this is part of understanding our identity from a biblical perspective on who God tells us who we are, because God created us, therefore we should look to him to understand what our identity is. And so to be clear here, this doesn't mean that Adam was both male and female, because you might read this and go, this seems really confusing. But the Hebrew words here for male and female are distinct. They're two different Hebrew words, meaning that men and women are biologically different and distinct. There's thought and purpose behind how he designed us. And so to God, the differences between men and women are not accidents. They are by design. Because remember, everything God creates and commands is done with intention, thought, and purpose. And I hope it's reassuring to you to know that everything that God created, including us, involves purpose, intentionality, and thought. God didn't just go, I'm just going to make, make them, and you know, that's it. He took skill and purpose to design who you are. And so because God is good and his designs and desires are perfect, that means when he created us, male and female, this is a holy design, one that is not intended to be tampered with. And to do so means you're really rejecting God's design 
And in so doing, you reject God himself. Because if you say, God, your creation is not good, it needs to be better, then what are we saying about who God is himself? And so why should we try to change or alter God's perfect design? And in fact, living as who God created us to be, male and female, is exactly how we worship and be obedient to God because his designs and desires are perfect. And so we look to God and his design because, again, he puts thought and intention and purpose behind everything and everyone. And so... God created humanity in his image and likeness, male and female, he created us, and we were created with thought and purpose. This was a perfect design. He looked at all of his creation, the world, humanity, and he said, this is very good. This is my design. This is my intention. And then something happened. Something big happened. Turn a few pages over to Genesis chapter 3, okay? God designed and created all of this, And then something happened. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So God has this perfect design, and then something happened. Okay. Would anyone like to read these verses for us? Anyone care to, nice and loud, read this for us? You don't have to hear me so much. Julio? Yeah, go for it. Thanks, man. Next slide for me, please. Thank you very much. That was great. So what happens here in Genesis chapter 3? Something happened to change God's design, his perfect design. What happened? Adam and Eve, the first created human beings in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect and holy. Adam and Eve directly disobeyed God's commands. And you see, God gave them the choice to follow him. Because back in Genesis 2... He told them, he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, the entire garden of Eden. You can eat from any tree, enjoy it, live it up, make a big fruit salad, whatever you want to do, except don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God gave them a choice. He didn't force them to love him. He didn't say, I'm going to create you and force you to love me. He wants a relationship with us. And so he said, eat from any tree except this tree. And so what do they do? They ate from the one tree that God said, don't eat from there. And so what happened? Their pride led them to disobey God. They were deceived that God didn't tell them the whole truth, that God was holding out on them. And they were convinced 
that their will or their desire was better than God's. They wanted to be like God. They said, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I think what I want is better. And because of their pride and disobedience, something drastically changed in this perfect picture of God's design. Sin infected the world, and sin, like a virus, spread throughout all of creation. Sin infected everything. And this once perfect design has now become tainted. This beautiful picture now has paint splattered all over it because of sin. And so there is no inch of creation now where sin has not wrecked havoc. And that includes us. Every area of God's creation has been infected with sin. And listen to what Romans 5 says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, what is sin? Like, this is just this weird spiritual word. Well, in a nutshell, here's basically what sin is, for lack of better words. Any thought or behavior that goes against God's word, God's character, or God's desire. Any thought or behavior that goes directly against who God is, his design, his desire, his character. Anything that says, nah, God, no thanks. And not only is sin something that we do, sin is in our DNA because sin has infected everything. And this is an important theology to understand that we have sinful nature, meaning every part of who we are is filled and tainted with sin. Every fiber of our being is affected by sin. And what does that mean and look like? You wake up in the morning, you go, ah, it's going to be a great day. I got school pictures. You walk in the bathroom, you look in the mirror, and what happens? You got a big old zit on your forehead, right? You're like, what? Gross. Right? Sin infects everything. It taints God's design. You look in the mirror and go, yeah, ah! this is what happens. Yeah, I said zit. Get over it, okay? We've all been there. And in fact, the Bible talks a lot about sin. Why? Well, let me just give you two reasons among many. One, because God is holy and sin is the opposite of holiness. And listen to what the Bible says. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells in you. And so sin is the very opposite of who God is, right? Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at how God is holy and perfect and in him there's no darkness. Well, because of that, no evil dwells within him, and he hates sin. And then what happens? Because of sin, we are now separated from God. And so sin is like a giant ravine that keeps us from that once perfect relationship with God. And so in the garden, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve were walking and in perfect relationship with God. And then they sinned, and everything changed. Now there's this broken relationship. There's this giant grand canyon between us and God. What we once had in the garden is now destroyed. And so listen to what the Bible says about sin. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And the wages of sin or the result of sin 
is death, meaning separation from God, right? Because if God is holy and perfect and without sin, and we are sinful, tainted with sin, then how can we even be in the presence of God when he is holy and we are sinful? How does that even happen? Because God can't even be near sin because he's holy. And so that's where we are. As sinners, we are separated from God, and the result is separation. But you know what? Praise God that he didn't leave us there, that he didn't let us be in this sin forever. Because look at what the other part of Romans 6 says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, friends, without Jesus, we cannot have a restored relationship with God. Without Jesus, we can't have a restored relationship with God. Why? Because sin separates us from God. And you know, people, humanity, what do we try to do? We try to fix this problem, right? Whether or not people call it sin or not, humanity knows that something is wrong, something is messed up. There's evil in the world. We have this sense of, we feel like something's not right. And so what do we do? We try to fix it. We try to work and earn our way to God. We think, oh, well, if I do a lot of good things, maybe I'll I'll get up to God. If I'm a good person, maybe I'll get up to God. That's what we try to do. But, friends, the Bible clearly says that the only way to restore that relationship with God is by trusting and placing your faith in Jesus to close that ravine that keeps us from God. And so Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want a relationship with God, where do you got to go? Jesus. That road goes through Jesus. And So when we place our faith in Jesus, trusting that he died on the cross and conquered the grave, And we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sin. And so here's what I want to say. Jesus is where our identity lies. John 1 says, But to all who receive him, referring to Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so it's because of Jesus that we can have a restored relationship with God. And so you are made in the image of God, but because of sin, we have a broken relationship with God. And when God looks at us, all he sees is sin. But when we place our faith in Jesus, God sees Jesus. So we can have a restored relationship with him. And because of Jesus, we can now be called children of God. So our sin cast us out of the family of God, and now because of Jesus, we are invited to now be a child of God again. And so your identity, who you are, how you might label yourself, it's not found in your grades, your sports, your relationship, how popular you are, your circumstances, what gender you wish or want to be, what political party you are, how much money you make, anything else the world might try to label you as, your identity is defined and found in Jesus. 
Your identity is found in Jesus. And when we look to everything but Jesus to get our identity, we're going to be left feeling broken and like something's missing because Jesus completes the picture. Your identity is defined and found in Jesus. And so it's through Jesus that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin. In Jesus, we find freedom. And I love what John 8 says. So if the Son, if Jesus has set you free, guess what? You will be free indeed. And so if you feel like, man, I am just weighed down by my mistakes and my shortcomings and my baggage, know that in Jesus you can find freedom. Jesus can change your life. So as we close, let me just recap what, what we kind of talked about tonight, because I know we covered a lot, and so we'll have plenty of time in small groups to kind of process this all a little bit more. I know I just threw a lot at you, but let me just kind of recap here. A couple things. One, humanity is made in the image and likeness of God, meaning that people have innate worth, purpose, and meaning. And where does our meaning and purpose come from? God. Number two, God created male and female. He created us. And if we seek to change that design, we reject who God is and his designs. And living who God created us to be is actually how we worship and bring glory to God because we're honoring his creation. Number three, because of our pride and disobedience, sin entered the world and now we are infected with sin. We have a sin nature. And because of sin, because of that sin, we are separated from God. Why? Because God is holy. God is without sin. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus that we can receive the gift of eternal life and restore the relationship with God. And what should our response be? Our response should be to resist sin and pursue Jesus. And so lastly, we're called to commit our lives to Jesus and not sin. Choose Jesus over sin and look to Jesus to define who you are, not the world around you. And so what I really want to leave you with this tonight is God defines and designs our identity because we are made in his image and likeness by him. Who defines our identity? It's God. Why? Because he created us. We are made in his image and likeness. God created you. And so if you are struggling, okay, like what is my identity? Where does it come from? Who am I? What is my purpose? We have to look to God. Why? Because he created us in his image. You have worth and value and purpose. And I hope you know that deeply because you are made in the image and likeness of God. Each and every one of you have worth and value and meaning, and we look to God to find that. And so next week, we're going to unpack more about what sin is and look at more of what the Bible says about sin, because I feel like sin is one of those words that maybe in church you hear all the time, but like, what is, what is sin? What does it look like? What are the effects of sin? And so we're going to talk about that more next week. And so again, I know we covered a lot, but we want to give you some time to process everything that we looked at tonight. So let me pray, and then I'll dismiss you guys to a small group, and then we'll have some time to hang out at the end of the night, okay? So God, thank you so much for this opportunity to 
look into your word. God, thank you that you created us with purpose. You put intention and thought into who we are, that each and every one of us are designed for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. We are not made haphazardly. God doesn't make junk. God makes masterpieces. And God, may we look to you for our identity. May we look to you to tell us how we should live, who we are, because you created us. And you look at us and say, you are so, so good. God, I pray that our response tonight would be to look to you, to place our faith in Jesus for what he has done for us to restore this broken relationship that we have. So God, whatever we're going through tonight, however we're feeling, whatever baggage we're carrying, may we look to you and give it all to you. And I pray that if there's someone here tonight who is struggling on who they are, that they would say, Jesus, it's because of you that I am a child of God. And may we remind ourselves that we have worth and value and purpose because you created us and you love us. To lead and guide us as we process. And thank you so much for gathering us here tonight. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, up here.